and it's translated pretty poorly. <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about parts of Animal Castle. I'm like, that doesn't quite fit. Did they translate that correctly? <laughs> yeah, get an American to translate your Belgian gibberish. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my friends. Whatever derogatory term for Belgians is. <laughs> Did you say Belgians? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm suddenly <laughs> lapsed in my native Transylvanian. <laughs> You crazy, crazy man. I will fly away like a vat, like a vat of vengeance. Welcome, welcome in, dear Dusty Trail Travelers, fellow smokestacks on the road. Here, have a can of bean. Django opened up these can of bean, and I got way too much can of bean all over me. And when I say can of bean, that's because this is a marijuana coffee podcast. Based on, based on my voice, I know what you guessed, and you are right. This is a marijuana coffee bean podcast. It's not. It's a comic book podcast. Welcome on down to New Direction, Season 3, Episode 2. I'm the fourth tummy. Wait, no, shit. <laughs> I'm Jeff. I'm Django, and I just wanted to let you know, Jeff, that I, when I was... These are beans, right? When I was ordering them, I said can of peas and they heard can of bean well i wouldn't mind a can of peas either they are one of my favorite vegetables i love them me too who's that who's that off there in the distance oh if i squint my eyes i can tell there's some wisdom dripping from his old gums <laughs> wait no that's not wisdom <laughs> that's blood and bean paste <laughs> that's generous <laughs> You know, all I've got, I'm Roman, by the way, all, uh, all, I've got, all I've got in my head now is that scene from Blazing Saddles where they're just, it's just nighttime, they're sitting around the campfire eating their beans and just nothing but farts for five minutes. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it sounds like our old podcast. When I was a child, we didn't have film or cinema, but I do, I do like that you were going by Roman now and not Governor Olive Garden which we know is your name that you earned out on the dusty trails when you was wrangling more cattle and serving it up in the old homeland style like you always do, General Olive Garden. Governor I'm Olive Garden. I'm glad he changed his name because I kept wanting to call him Governor Oliver Garden. Yeah, Oliver Garden? I hardly even know her. Oh, my God. This is worse than the last one. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. The last one. I like the last one because I went surfing. This time I'm just sitting here with beans and I'm not entirely sure that these are beans. It's a pop culture comic book podcast where we read a lot of comic books, pass them around the fire, read them by the daylight, and read them by the far light if that's the time of night that we're reading our books. And that's really the only time that a cowpoke like the three of us gets to sit down, really rest our feet in dusty heels is when it's the sunset, right? So, um, God, I'm going to solve. You know what they say, Jeff? No. Can't smell the dust without a little rain. That's what I was saying to you earlier. I was the guy that said that to you. You're the they. I'm you them. They. I am. And you, dear listener, are the they. The, the fourth they. The fourth they. I'm on this podcast. We've got a satchel filled with comic books. Actually, no, I got to be absolutely honest with everybody. In a normal week, this would have been a pretty small week of comics. Governor um, Olive Garden, who's this talking? 
Sorry, Governor. I don't know. I don't know. Some 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 owl hoot done rod wrote in. Listen, Governor, I don't want to do this because I always do this to you and you're always right. But I have to say, I think that's too much olive oil in the pasta. Man, they can never have too much olive oil. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say in Tuscany, where you're from. Um, when you're from in Tuscany. Is that um, olive oil over here? It would have been a small week of comics anyway, but we were sure did one of our we were sure did one of our Berkshires. And uh, I'm, I'm taking Western in our new interesting direction. I'm very interested in exploring today. We were sure did one of our Berkshires. <laughs> and it was uh, filled with a lot of image books and dynamite books and boom books. So we're we're down to just our diseased and our marvels and like a one or just a couple, a couple books outside of those purposes. Smugglers. I like the way you said that because it was dynamite and then boom. Oh, wow. One of them owes the other one money, I think. You are a governor and a great chef. OGG. Governor of your heart. Yeah. Right on down, rhinestone cowboy. This week we're going to be talking about a whole smattering of bookworths, but it's not as many as normal, so i got to be honest with you. Um, first, we're going to talk about Supergirl number eight, the triumphant finish of Tom King's magnum opus. We're going to talk about Batman the Night number two. We're going to talk about X Lies of Wolverine number three. We're going to talk about My Bad number four. We're talking about Nightwing 89. Nice. And then we're going to go right into the bookshots. We also got an email from my friend, Well, Well, Wellmer. Three holes in the ground. Well, well, well. All three of them. Happy season three, episode two, Bueller. Oh. <laughs> That's I was cruising down the 405 and I decided to take a shortcut through El Segundo. So I took the 405 west, exited on Culver. Then I saw Zanku Chicken on the left and I made a ride and took it all the way down Venice until I hit Marina and was becoming Western. Until I hit, <laughs> okay, and took it all the way down Venice until I hit Marina Del Rey where I listened to a Beach Boy cover band. So that got me thinking about covers, and I really started to wonder. <laughs> what makes a good comic book cover? When you put aside any pre-existing knowledge you might have about the creative team, a cover seems to have a lot of heavy lifting to do. It can sell you on a book or lead you to dismiss a book without even cracking it open to see what it is inside. What do you guys look for in a good cover? And what is a book that you dismissed by the cover along that you definitely shouldn't have? I just want to recognize that, Will, I do think I get the SNL reference that you're making in your email. Um, S and Will. Um, covers. <laughs> Jenga, you recently, I don't know if we're on the podcast or not, but it was for She-Hulk number two. And you were just like out of nowhere, like that is a garbage cover for number two. And yeah, I was unless... looking at it and I was like, I got, I, I really like that cover. Unless Andrew completely edited that out. I shit all over that on the podcast, but it wasn't the cover that I objected to. It was the fact that they used that cover to advertise what the next issue was in the back of the first issue. I thought it was a good cover. It was a good drawing, nice colors, uh, alluring image to, to make you want to buy the issue. It just didn't make me want to buy the issue in the context of next on She-Hole, if that makes sense. But like they do that with Thor <laughs> too. Next, the Thor force. Yeah, but and what's that cover. Thor cover? Is something happening or is he just sitting there? He's uh, He's got fire sticks in his hands and he's lunging at the camera. Yeah, so like that makes me want to, to re see that movie 
Right. But, but that, that's got to come down to just like pure taste. Right. Like I love the idea of She-Hulk and a fashionable outfit and it was like kind of 80s Art Deco thing because it kind of fed into the fashion and like kind of fun shopping shit that was happening in issue number one. Yeah, I don't I don't think I'm going to change my position on this. No, I'm not trying to Still change hate your it. position. Otherwise, I'm just trying to say, like, are, are you saying it's an objectively bad cover no. to be selling an issue or are you saying that? it doesn't appeal to your tastes that would interest you in a comic. Neither. I'm saying that as an advertisement on the last page of issue one, you should show me something exciting for issue two. Not like you wouldn't say next time on this TV show, you can watch She-Hulk sit. But like, don't you think that when we're using words that are like exciting, that's where a subjective thing is coming into play. And like what is exciting for one person is not exciting for another person. So maybe that image was exciting. So like I totally support the idea that you're like bad cover for me because I wouldn't want to read that issue. It wasn't a bad cover, though. It was a not exciting cover. No, it was a bad advertisement in that context. Mm, so so like I would pick that cover up and I would I would I would maybe <laughs> even choose it off of a like a rack of covers and enjoy it but i would i would take it and enjoy that cover i would take that cover but, home to enjoy it yeah you're, but you're like say, you're saying it was a it's a bad ad for the next issue just showing the cover of the next issue yeah it felt it felt really lazy by marvel but you're saying it's not a bad plan to use an advertisement for the next issue if it's the cover of the next issue as long as an in image that's exciting to you right and and in the case of that she hulk if they had had an, a variant cover that had her on a catwalk like like walking walking down the model catwalk in that same outfit with the same colors and everything i think it would have been a better promotion for the next issue because the, the last page of a comic should be selling you on buying the next one the cover can do that all on its own right but the last page of that comic is a special place where you have someone already captured and you're trying to get them to continue the story. And that gives no indication of what that is. I just feel like it's commonplace at this point for the final image or final page to show a cover of the next issue. Yeah, it's lazy as fuck. I think that, so I think that practice is lazy as fuck. <laughs> I agree. I, I'm just saying, I think that we're talking about some subjective things here and, and I totally support that. Um, but now we're talking about what the merits of a good advertisement are, not what a good cover is. And we're totally off track. Well, it's a different we're, conversation. We got off the 405, if you will. Yeah, we got off the 405 and I'm fucking lost in Bermuda Hills. Just get on your horse and come over. Oh me. my God. I forgot Smell this board's a rain. horse. I forgot this board's a horse. Um, Roman, what are some covers, good covers for you? What's a good cover for you? Man, I've never really thought. I was, I was trying to think of a recent bad cover, but again, but it's totally subjective. Again, um, yeah. Because in my case, I hate J. Scott Campbell's artwork. Mm. And it took me like two weeks to finally read that Black Cat Mary yeah, Jane yeah, yeah. one shot, which was pretty good. But I didn't read it because I was so TikTok. uninterested and ticked off at that horrible cover by J. Scott Campbell. I think that's a great point. For me, a cover, a, a good cover has good composition, exciting colors, and hopefully either an engaging character looking at you or doing something exciting. Um, yeah. Um, that, oh, okay. Or an homage, just a simple homage to Action Comics number one. Or year, year <laughs> one. Yeah, Batman year one. Or I'm just looking at some of the covers just randomly this week. Some of my favorite covers, Crimson Cage number three, because it's got the main character underwater or in blood or something, but he's mm -hmm. he's apparently drowning in this 
awful red dark haze just buy you mud yeah i x-men number eight that's a fantastic cover because it's just it, it makes me laugh cover. it's just a big modok face and he's taking off a a gene gray mask and it's modok yeah. underneath that's hilarious i think that's a great cover i I like the conversation where I went at the beginning there, Django, because it, it got into what thing that is maybe subjectively interesting to me, which is sort of the differences in preference for the idea of what is a good advertisement and what is a good cover and what mm-hmm. should they do. And uh, I would say that not probably hugely surprising to everyone. My probably favorite covers are uh, East of West and Manhattan Projects. And I think mm-hmm. those are great graphic design things. Um, I also like that they always follow the same pattern, like the bottom two thirds are white with the top being of a certain color palette and then showing something. And I like those because they all they made me actually want to collect them because they all looked like variations on a thing. Same with Manhattan mm-hmm. Projects. I even think that Saga for the first like year did a really good job of their covers because they're each issue have a very solid color background with an image in front of it. And I think that those are the best covers because I think they simultaneously are an interesting advertisement because they stand out and they're I think that's I mean what they really are is a great advertising, a great advertisement that is really aesthetically pleasing to me. I don't have any problem with an advertisement being a cover or not being a cover. But for me, it's something that fits into an aesthetic that I like a lot that makes me want to collect versions of it um, or you know, as Hickman always says, like, yeah, when I started making comics and covers, everything was a lot of colors. So I knew that from my first book, I needed to be, even if it was just an entirely plain white cover, that would make somebody look at it. So then, like, you know, that makes me think about what Django's talking about, like practicalities within advertisement and should a cover be an advertisement or should it be an exciting thing? And all of that, I think, fits together really well in the way that Hickman has dis- designed, like, what good covers are from in my mind. So if I had to choose one cover artist to draw all the rest of the covers that I bought for the rest of my life, I think it would be Brian Boland. Because, mm, um, like, his his covers usually have some very silly or surprising joke in them, but they're mm-hmm. also composed so well that that's not the first thing you see. So like there's that Animal Man cover where it's Animal Man and then you realize he's in a pool of blood on the highway and his arm is coming from the bottom corner and his head is coming from the top corner and he's clearly had his arm torn off. Dude, that whole series of covers are incredible. They're amazing. And yeah. and he did all those covers for Batman Gotham Knights, I think it was. Doom Patrol, I believe he did. Doom Patrol, yeah, just just amazing stuff and and he's got he's just got an, a really good eye for composition and visual jokes within it yeah um, and that's that's that's, that's something answer. i look for yeah roman do you <clears throat> want to put a pin in this one for us um or I not we, sorry i, th- I, I think make sure i should, don't i think we should mention the covers of each comic we talk about today okay i'm into that with this criteria in mind uh can, Will, I, can i say one one other thing yeah, about it yeah yeah i think that there are classic covers that we accept as classic or important, but that are not very good covers in general. Like most of Watchmen doesn't have great covers, but it follows the gimmick of those covers being the first panel of the issue. And they like, they work well together, but taken one at a time, they're not necessarily great cover images. I think that's an interesting difference between the two of us and that even that statement kind of goes on to, I think, illustrate some of the stuff from earlier in the conversation which is i would disagree i think the doom the the doomsday clock and watchman covers are like some of the best covers <laughs> um but 
I'm thinking I'm looking at them from the idea of like making me want to own all of them and collect them. And that really only happens for me. And that really gets its hooks in deep when they're sort of unified right. by a gimmick or something. So I'd go back to the East of West one again. Like I look forward to those covers, you know, and feeling like it's a, like, you know, like I love that branding. I think that's really intelligent. Yeah. So I really like the Watchmen ones. Um, but it, I, I think that we have... Uh, a very differing opinions on what a cover is a good cover to us, but I think they're both right. very merited and it just kind of comes down to what we think it should be. And there's no right answer there, but I, it's, that's a, that was a really good question. And we haven't, I haven't really, I've known Django for a long time and I feel like I'm pretty aware of the things that we clearly disagree on. And this was a new one for me. So let me put it in the, <laughs> listen. let head. me put it in the page of my journal where I'm listing all of the things <laughs> that I am holding against Django because we have separate interests his body his and that's just envy that's just plain ice cubes envy. no we've got same ice similar ice cubes okay you guys take me away to better days let's ride on down to supergirl way supergirl woman of tomorrow tom king and elquist bilquist avely doing this one putting it together sending out smoke signals to the beyond this one I was almost wanted to try and binge all of it, but I had to catch that whole bowl stampede earlier and I didn't have a chance to do that. It was a dust bowl full of bowls. You're not wrong, my fair, fair maiden. <laughs> so I think we also have to mention Matthew Lopez or Lopes as the colorist, because this whole series has had a very interesting way of, of being colored. There's a lot of muted colors, but then also some crazy fluorescent stuff when they get out in space on certain planets. And it's, uh, it hasn't looked like other comics, not only because Bilquis is a, a spectacular drawer, but the, the colors are, are wonderful as well. Um, so this brings us to the end of the story. We, we find out the, the final fate of uh, the guy that they've been trying to kill this whole time or trying to track down. I guess Supergirl has been trying to keep the main character from killing him. Um, and the girl is alone on an island with a sword and gets to gets to decide whether or not she's going to kill the guy. And, and we have a nice conversation when Supergirl shows up about how Supergirl was like, yeah, I knew that you were going to track this guy down and kill him for killing your father and you weren't going to give it up. So I thought I'd go along with you and try to teach you by example to not be a murderer. And then uh, Supergirl tries to kill him and, and doesn't quite do it. Decides not to at the very last minute. And we get a nice little code of the story. What what did you think, Roman? I was, oh, I can't. <laughs> They killed. They killed Comet, or make. Oh like no! Yeah, well, I, that was surprised me. <laughs> um, was was Comet an older character? Yeah, it, it was Supergirl's horse that first showed up in the fifties, I think. Okay, wow. Fifties or early sixties, and yeah, it was always a dude that had been cursed or turned into a horse or whatever. Man, yeah, they that that gives it a lot more weight, I think. Yeah, um, I like the issue. I mean, I was I was. I kind of gave it a, a lower score than previous issues. I think just because maybe, and maybe that's based in just being sad that the series is now over. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> it was a good issue. There was a lot of good interactions in here. Beautiful art, of course. Um, the whole concluding thing was very well done. I had to actually read the ending twice mm -hmm. to, make, to make sure I, I got it. So, okay, yeah, let's let's talk about that ending. So, uh, spoilers for the, the end of an eight-issue story that you should probably read pause right now and go read and come back if you haven't um so the main character has is old by the end of it supergirl is not and she shows up on the old lady's planet to pull the main bad guy out of the phantom zone 
where he's been exiled for years and years and years. And he seems to have come around and, and realized the error of his ways. And he begs her to forgive him. And she hits him with her cane. And then they walk away. Did he die? Um, at the end when they she hits him with the cane? Yeah. I don't... <sighs> I don't know. I I thought so at first, but then, you know, you, you see his silhouette, you see his arm kind of move and, and like go his hand go to his head. Mm-hmm. But then you see his arm. But then the next the last panel, his arm is lowered again. So maybe he died. Maybe he's just laying there going, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. And at first I thought that because uh, when Supergirl and Ruthie are walking into the distance, after Supergirl says, I liked your book, uh, Ruthie's, her second word balloon says, I should have told what really happened if I had any guts at all, which made me go back and think, well, wait, so did Supergirl actually kill him? But then no, she releases him from the Phantom Zone. So the text on the last page is the narration from the book yeah. where Ruthie's telling us that Supergirl killed him. Okay, so in, so in the book, her ending in the book is that Supergirl killed him. Yeah, and that's not actually what happened. Yeah, which which that, actually, that that's something that actually disappointed me a little bit it's like oh she wrote in her book that Supergirl killed him but no they just put him in the phantom zone for like 300 years yeah which that's pretty cool too but i was kind of like oh cool supergirl just killed somebody yeah yeah i you know for for a guy who whose stories i love and whose endings i'm sometimes confused or lukewarm on um i think i would give this this whole series story a 10 and i would give this ending a nine even though i'm not a hundred percent sure what happened on that last page? <laughs> yeah. Um, I I like the way the characters acted and I like this take on Supergirl because she is ruthless and kind at the same time. Yeah. And it's it's and it seems very natural. It's not it's not just a you know a two-dimensional kind of oh, she's bad and good. Right. And I like she the, contains multitudes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Good old good old Walt Whitman. Um and I like the nods to it's Silver not Age. Walt Whitman, it's Bob Dylan. Same same man. Yep. Oh shit, never mind. Sorry, my bad. Walt Zimmerman. Um, and I like the nods to the Silver Age Supergirl history. I mean, he, he, well, not Silver Age, but the Superman movies where she takes out this little card and throws it to the ground and it expands in the same way mm-hmm. as the, the Phantom Zone stuff did in the movies. Um, because they never did that in the comics until those movies. Damn, that's a gorgeous page. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you know, the, the artist fabulous yeah i googled bilquis evilly uh when you guys were talking because i'd never <laughs> seen what they looked like and she wears clothing that looks very much like the clothing in this book and immediately just like oh, the way really? that it falls and like almost like a like a kind of i mean a bunch of the pictures of her that she came up kind of like that aviator like female aviator-esque kind of like i don't know type uh jackets and anyway it was it was interesting to see just like the way that the shadows were cast on her clothing stood out in my mind with how it seems like the art in that book is which is really really pretty art roman what do you give this book and i did like that ruthie didn't forgive him even after 300 years um i gave it i gave it an eight maybe an 8.5 because yeah the same thing i I was the whole series 10 yeah i i I really want to read it it's it seems like obviously obviously good um yeah. There was no good reason why I am not caught up on that book, which is a theme, a theme of this week's comics. I mean, the I pitch is not really a Jeff pitch. Like, I really liked the first issue. It was. Oh, did you stri- read the first one? Yeah, I read the first okay. issue. I thought it was super well paced. <laughs> I really liked it. I thought the art was absolutely gorgeous. And it was just one of those things of the next week that that issue came out, um, issue two. 
I just before podcast time, I wasn't going to be able to read a dense Tom King book or whatever. And yeah. it he's a writer who, even though I really, really like his writing, uh, he 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 generally falls to the end of my stack. And if I miss one, I'll wait and build it up. And that ha- ha- happened with like three issues of Rorschach. I needed to sort of yeah. catch up on it. So um, he's, you know, again, one of my favorite writers, but I think that he you got to be in the right spot for his stuff much like grant morrison or hickman so he comes with an emotional tax for me an emotional tax and also just like a time tax it takes me probably twice as long to read a tom king book as it does another writer and that's my own shortcomings with reading i haven't learned how to do it yet i'll buy Um, this one in an absolute when it comes out dude i would any tom king book in an absolute edition i will buy have they done any no the fact that we do not have a Mr. Miracle one yet is the really obvious crazy thing because it won an Eisner for all sorts of stuff. Weird. If you're thinking to yourselves, dear listener, man, those boys are moving pretty slow. You're not wrong. It's because if I look immediately to my left, that's the Grand fucking Canyon and I'm riding donkey back down this thing. And if I move too quick, this donkey's going to take a tumble and I'm going to lose another friend on this trail. I can't fucking do that so we're gonna take it slow through this night and this night is exactly what i want to talk to you about <laughs> batman the night number two written by chip Zdarsky, art by carmen dg and domenico Segway. couldn't have done it better myself i have something to say to you Django, and it's more of a question than a statement how'd you feel about this one because i know you weren't super hot to trot on issue number one and i i liked issue number one quite a bit Mm-hmm. I liked this issue quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it is testing my, not testing, but it is an exploration in my feelings about Elseworlds stories. Yeah. I don't need a technologically advanced cat woman to train Batman. But she's like the she's gray ghost from the animated cougar. series, which I know she's that you love. She's a cougar woman. Well, yeah. So again, I was on board for this because she's super awesome and she confused Bruce because he hadn't had mm-hmm. a strong female role model that wasn't, you know, a strong female role model to him. And I loved the bit. Well, yeah, I mean, sorry, that's coming across like I'm saying I liked what happened. I just really I really liked that scene. I'm not saying if you didn't like that scene or not, but that was a scene I really liked in this book. I really like their, their kind of techno flirting. cougars. They're flirting at the table uh, in the cafe. And I liked I liked all the training stuff quite a bit. I liked that Bruce got shot. Um, yep. I like seeing a fallible Bruce Wayne. That's really nice. And I'm curious to see what happens with Ducard. And I'm super curious to find out why everybody's using Ducard so much lately. Yeah, I know. He's probably going to be in that new Batman movie that comes out March 4th. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I like this issue quite a bit more than the previous issue. And that probably won't surprise you because it was hot chicks in action rather than um, (laughs) psychology. Oh, my God. You're right. Wait, I like psychology. Are you... Are we not going to, are Listen, you and I not going to make it in the long run? Give me guns. Give me Or, or give shots. me buns. Give me guns and buns. You can keep your notes on that little yellow pad. In your brain. your ass. Buns. Hey, hey, Roman, where did you fall on the waters of this? Did you and I saw your body get shot on the docks as you were escaping from those hounds. I'm curious. Did you fall on the east side of the lake? You know, it was one of them Sam Peckinpah type of death scenes. So you you think I'm going to the east, you think I'm going to the left, you don't know because it takes like 15 minutes for me to actually hit hit the water. It is a murderous 
Continental Divide. Where did you find yeah. yourself? Where yeah. did you find yourself? I landed in a little rowboat right below the dock there. A Rome boat. I like that. A Rome boat. And I just. So you're like, undecided quiet, is what quiet, you're telling me. Quietly paddled away. You know, I'm uh, I was surprised. I, I like this. this I, I, um, and I d- kind of don't want to like the series because just in general, I'm like, oh, come on. Another like Bruce bef- right before he becomes Batman story. Ugh. But this was good. All the stuff Django mentioned. I liked the interaction with this this older cat burglar who Bruce like awkwardly tries to flirt with, and she just makes fun of him. And I loved that. And and she turns him down because she's mm-hmm. like, "No, you're 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 too young of a pup. Never mind." Um, Did your mom die when you were real young? This is weird. <laughs> and the art is yeah. great. She's super super hot while having old lady panties as well, which is awesome. Um, yeah. But I loved her right statement of just like, "If only I could steal time." She's like, "I'd do it, you young pup, you." But I'm too old. old lady panties i didn't even notice they were old lady panties. oh sorry some appropriately oh, aged wear, roman panties. yeah yeah <laughs> and i like the fact they they threw all that in just to like that one line of dialogue where bruce is telling somebody later when he's recalling this that that yeah i've always kind of had a soft spot for cat burglars you know cat burglars <laughs> that, that they're just robbing from the rich and and not really harming anyone so it's like oh, okay that's nice to have that in there i do wish we'd get like a i mean those are fine but a non all ages comic that's like about bruce when he's younger like bruce in middle school or something <laughs> yeah just because i haven't really done that but do right. it for like an adult audience or- i was confused about your way you preface that at first but yeah you're right like the, the, when they explore that time frame it's generally with a kid bent but i would love an adult one yeah. i don't know if you guys have ever read or seen ender's game but that's mm-hmm. a really adult story about a child going through child elementary and it's like super violent mm-hmm. and deals with a lot of the psychological underpinnings and of a, a, a very Bruce Wayne type character. So I think yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. I like what both of you guys are saying. I think it's a really good point. I Roman's point, I didn't really want to like it. For some reason, I don't super want to like it. I said that about issue number one. And it's because I don't really need, like Jingo said, another story about this era of Bruce's life. But what I do like about it is that this is an era of Bruce's life that is talked about a lot. But, and maybe it's different in your guys' head, but I don't have a definitive story for this time. Like I have a definitive Mm. Batman starting as, Bruce starting as Batman in the form of year one. I have a definitive idea of when he got dick grayson from long halloween like there's these things i can point to definitively but like this era is something that you get in batman mask of the phantasm it's something you get in batman begins it's something you get right here in batman the night so i think that stories are sort of jockeying for an attempt to get their footing on what is the definitive tale of bruce at this time Mm -hmm. and that's why i can be a little bit tired of it but at the same time because I don't have a governing story for this era of his life, I'm pretty open to it. But I also try to be pretty open about the fact that between the two, the three of us and like Justin, like I am, I have the lowest Batman IQ of all of those. I've read the least like stuff from the eighties, you know, seventies and that stuff. So maybe there's a thing that everyone points to as being the definitive story of like Bruce's kind of late high school to like, you know, university years, but because I don't have that, I'm kind of open to this one. Yeah. The only thing I have for that, that I count in my personal Batman canon is the first parts of the first five issues of Legends of the Dark Knight, which had him up in the mountains in the snow, getting crazy, like Inuit masks and stuff. Well, that couldn't be Inuit. Anyway, that's the only part that I have is like, that's definitely a thing that happened in my Batman history, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I like these kinds of stories 
for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I, I like that, that idea that they're all kind of jockeying for a position in the official head canon of all fans. And I, if, if I had one that I felt like was my canon, I think I'd be much less interested in this because it would, you know, contradict the thing that I have. So mm-hmm. I'm very, very open to that being a very subjective thing. But I also, and I also just really like the kind of romantic confusion of Bruce in this. Like, I love that introducing a thing that pays off with his Catwoman relationship, but also he doesn't have a mother figure. He doesn't really have a strong domineering male figure. So, you know, I, I, I really like that his kind of, it makes sense to me that his, he would be confused about this maternal figure sort of being attracted to her. I think that was a scene that would have been easy to not include and also maybe on the surface easy to include because it got to have a lady in her bra and panties. But at the same time, I think it really made sense with the sort of confusion that I would relate to with Bruce on in that level. Yeah. I, I ever since we read, reread, you know, Morrison's bat, bat run, um, I now approach all Batman stories that way is like, mm-hmm. you know, they're all canon unless, you know, they're Elseworlds, Black Label. Um and they all fit in there somewhere. I'm, I'm still my still my definitive framework is that yeah, when he was and it's a little murky. I don't know if it was before college or after college. That's when he's up in Tibet and the Himalayas and going around the world, learning from all the different masters and everything. And mm-hmm. that all leads into year one. Um, so I don't know where exactly this fits in there, but it's somewhere in that period when he's traveling around. Yeah, um, I give it a nine. I give it a nine. I would have gone 8.5 before this discussion, but even just talking about it, it kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm on board for it. I give it an eight. That's as, as low as I am to admit it coming around. I'll give it a, I think I gave it an eight. I guess I'll have to stick to the eight because I already put it on the website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go maybe to 8.5. Oh, lean in the 8.5. You want the want. real it scores? Is. You want the real scores? You listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I already forgot what it's called, but the ads this week had um, the new Tom King bat yeah, limited yeah. series that's set yeah. again in this same time period. And when as soon as I saw that ad, I was like, God, another one? But it's Tom King, so of course I'm going to read it. But it's going to be good. It's only eight, I think. And yeah, I think that all of that is there's an editorial push to have comic books coming out in the time frame that the movie uh, oh. is going to be coming out in is my hypothesis. Are you guys excited for that movie? I am. I don't want to be. <laughs> I am. I, I think I'll, I'll, I've got, I'm leaving a lot of room to be disappointed. But the, the, when I was sold that the pitch was that he's like a Kurt Cobain version of Bruce and Catwoman is his Courtney Love. I was like, well, that's pretty far oh, up the Jeff. <laughs> Did they did did they use your Google history to figure out how to make you yeah, watch maybe. it? Yeah, maybe I don't know. Ryan sent that message to you and I, I think. But yeah, I was uh, stunned to hear that, and it made me excited. So, wow. I so it's a black label Batman movie. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Roman, I try not to be excited or pre disappointed in any DC property at this point. Like, safe. I was completely underwhelmed at the idea of a peacemaker tv show and it's one of the best pieces of film that's come out from that company in 15 years one of the best pizzas that there is <laughs> you know yeah uh, even even the sh- the shitty movies that they put out like i've seen much worse movies so i'll watch it i've said it a thousand times on this podcast but i'm not putting on my batman costume until they've really impressed me a few times but i'll still go to the midnight show um i'm gonna talk briefly about x lives of wolverine sex this lives of wolverine is a really good book um in my mind written by benjamin percy art by joshua Kassara. so one of my favorite artists that's been coming up um he's done a bunch of the x-force stuff with dean white so it's pretty much one of the, co- the prettiest books that could be coming out uh, in my mind and throughout this series they've just been doing these like full page one shots of like splash pages of art that are absolutely gorgeous 
Um, I really like this issue because it kind of got us to the mechanical reason of why what is happening is happening in the X lives mm. story, which is uh, it's been Wolverine using the help of Charles Xavier and Jean Grey to kind of transfer his consciousness to his bodies in the past to defend Charles Xavier and from basically having an attack from what we learn is Colossus's brother somebody that Roman knows about that I didn't know about and Omega Red and the mechanic for it we learn in this I thought was really interesting they're taking this stupid thing that was created called the Cerebro Sword around the Ten of Swords event and it's like all of Cerebro's consciousness saved in a sword and they're stabbing it into Omega Red because he has I don't know a ton about the actual origin of Omega Red. But he's got this carbonium, carbanium adapter thing. I don't know. Hyper, I don't know. Um, <laughs> which is the, the tubes everywhere. And, and then he's using that guy's magic, the Colossus brother, whose name I forget. Sorry, Roman knows, but. Um, Mikhail. Mikhail. He's using a magical spell to stab Omega Red in the heart with the Cerebro sword. And it's essentially allowing um cerebro and he to or sorry omega red and he to kind of transfer his consciousness simultaneously to all of the the backups that exist throughout time at their kind of time travel leisure so that's what the, the onslaught that uh, wolverine is preventing to, to have happen um i think that it's organized really well i really like uh again the art because there's like some splash pages in this they're absolutely incredible uh, but it mechanically makes sense. And I really like the way that it's kind of flowed. Issue one defended Charles. Issue two was a moment kind of steeped in Wolverine lore, which I was unfamiliar with, but it was basically the moment right before Dakin was born and he was going to get killed. And it's good. It makes me realize I don't know as much about Wolverine history as I would like, and I'm enjoying having it dripped into me, but the art is gorgeous. I don't necessarily know exactly how this links up with X deaths of Wolverine, but this story seems internally consistent to me and I'm, I'm really liking it. And I think it's effing gorgeous. So Roman, you read this. I'm just curious. Uh, what, what did you think about it? Could be maybe pretty up the Jeff hole. This, this issue made me realize I really like X lives of Wolverine and I kind of don't care about X deaths of Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realize I kind of don't care about Moira. Um, yeah. And I think that totally <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus I like the art on this series a lot. Better. Oh, it's so pretty. Um, and this, I mean, I, I'm a sucker or a, a good time travel story and him jumping around and get to see Wolverine in different time periods. That's I'll always read one of those, but there's some moments in here at one point he's in 1900 in Northern Canada on this ship and he's, he's traveling across the ice and he's attacking Omega red. Who's in, who's inhabited one of Charles ancestors. And at one point, a white whale bursts through the oh, ice and yeah. Omega red possesses the white whale. And I'm just like, Oh, that's so big and stupid and awesome. I yeah. Mean, Moby Dick guest stars in this issue of Wolverine. Is that, that something that he's been able to do? No, it, it's this combination I mean, it's all new. Of, yeah, of yeah. magic from this person. And the mechanic was explained in this <clears> issue, but it's magic combined with the kind of cerebro computer backup model then combined okay. with this thing about Omega red. that APIs. I don't fully understand. But yeah. But Django, one of the things they proffer in this issue that I love the idea of was like they were they were, you know, in this past because also it's a it's a assault through time that's happening simultaneously and linearly because they can exist in all times at once. OK, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are moving left to right. It's more like bottom up, like things are happening at all. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's really cool. But um, and they're like, we might have to kill the mother of Wolverine's son in the past. And that would change the timeline. So, Charles, could you back up his consciousness with Cerebro in the past, in that life, in the past? And he's like, no, I couldn't do that unless we, like, planted a Cerebro 
a cradle in a black hole because a black hole will be removed from the constraints <laughs> of like time and space. <coughs> and they're like, no, we can't That's do that. Cool. It's very, it was a cool computer idea though. Like how could you, you know, remove yourself from <clears throat> the bounds of when something happened within a computer as storing data. And if you removed it from time, which is theoretically possible with like a black hole and light and everything, like really cool computing ideas and the way that yeah. they break down um, processing like there's an attempt to do the Hickman info dump pages on this and uh, I think that he does it better than anybody I think he's yeah. consistently done it but the way that they go through the or like trying to essentially do computer coding to try and formulate an alternative plan and they assess like variables and they place variables essentially like a math equation function mm-hmm. um, anyway I thought it was really, really good. I won't spend an insane amount of time talking about it, but I gave it a solid 8.5. I think maybe there's even a reason for me to argue. Actually, I'm going to say a nine because it's the art is gorgeous. Um, and they, I think the story is really great. They apply, yeah, that that text info dump page with applying chaos theory to all this. That was great. Yeah. And they actually had a character show up in here. I mean, I have no idea who this Romulus guy is. He's just apparently an older, bigger Wolverine. Never heard of him before, but he he was some storyline at some. He sounds like he was the storyline that what I could glean from this, and I didn't know, is that it sounds like um, essentially Wolverine gets somebody pregnant and makes an enemy, and that guy comes and essentially steals the child when he's a baby, and that is Dakin, and he's raised as his own kid, and he's sort of that's why Dakin is such a. But I want to know who who Romulus is. I mean, he's got Wolverine claws. For sure. like Wolverine. I don't know either, but yeah, what I was able to glean was it seems like he's somebody who's kind of taken, stolen his child and then raised him. Yeah, definitely. He's even got a Japanese samurai type of haircut. Which is a story that's entirely lifted from Angel season three, but whatever. Oh, really? Wow. Um, I gave it a uh, 8.5. I like it. Maybe even a nine I could go. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Hey, Django, um, we're moving a little quicker now because we spent a lot of time in the morning. But uh, now that we're set, the sun is setting, I want to spend a little time with an email I've got for you and your friend, Roma, 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 Ding Dong. Um, More this of is a from, partnership. If you know hey, I mean. listen, I'm looking over to the east there, and I know uh, that we are headed towards the east. I'm seeing some smoke signals. Time travel forward two days. Oh, wait, we found him. There's a man by a fire. His name is Judd Morse, and he's written a piece. Oh, he's apparently blind and deaf, or maybe just blind. And he is he's transcribed a message for us because he listens to our tales. And this is the transcribed message that he has given to us. Hey, dudes. Long-time listener, first-time ruminator. Okay, yeah, this actually came up the day that we recorded the last one, so it was before search time. <laughs> hey, dudes, long-time listener, first-time ruminator. Got a couple of questions for you. Judd, thank you so much for doing this. If you are a listener like Judd who has any questions for us, please send them to us. Yes. Um, you can do that at jeff at com. And for the next two weeks, anybody who sends an email to us gets a free copy of Django or a free comic or a discount. Django, you do it. What's the mechanism? Is it Saga uh, 55? Is it with you? It's Saga. Batman the Night. Have you not had a free? Have you not read mm, Batman the Night one? You get a copy. Last. You get a free copy of Batman the Night. If you have already gotten Batman the Night, you get a free copy of a different How about one. this? You get a free copy of a number one that we choose that you haven't bought from us. Mm. Write an email, get a free comic. It's that easy. We're even going to let people like Nathan, Andrew, and Will who write emails all the time, get free comics. Counts. Um, 
So yeah, we're going to do that. Judd, you get one as well. But everybody, send an email to jeff at thecomicsplace.com. Get on the podcast if you're listening. Hell, if you're in a different state, we'll send it to you by mule. Uh, my birthday is coming up. and My wife wants me to put together a wish list. I think that actually Judd's birthday just happened from what Roman said before the podcast. Today or so, yesterday, yeah. 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 Are there any new trades out there that have caught your attention? I haven't read many of the big two superhero runs over the past several years. Any big runs that you'd recommend? So that's the first question. Second, also, now that Morrison's on Substack, I'm feeling like I may have to take the plunge. I don't really know much about Substack or the platform in general. Is there any way to describe subscribe through a guy's local retailers? Through you guys over well that's number two and last but not least mary fuck kill weird super team shows edition umbrella academy peacemaker doom patrol i'd marry umbrella academy fuck peacemaker and kill doom patrol not because i hate doom patrol but because they've all died been resurrected quite a bit lately so i feel like they just bounce back looking forward to the next season okay let's start with the mary fuck kill question doom patrol umbrella academy peacemaker mary have I sex would. with kill mary peacemaker because I think he's broken and I could fix him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would fuck Doom Patrol because that would really get my weird fuck on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've always been curious about things like, mm -hmm. you know, things mm -hmm. like the Doom Patrol would probably mm -hmm. do. Maybe rear entry, for example. Mm -hmm. Someone maybe, will probably let you do that at some point. Maybe a little bit of 69, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh maybe God. like mouth kisses with the Doom Patrol. Mouth kisses during. And Our nation, would, this this podcast went somewhere dark. It sure did, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right up in that dark spot. <laughs> hey, mom, it's me. <laughs> it's Jeff. This is my business partner. You know that guy hello. I'm doing meetings with all the time. It's him. Hello, hello Jeff's mom. <laughs> oh no, I like mouth kisses. Yeah, he does. Uh, and I would kill the Umbrella Academy because I watched two or three episodes and could not be bothered to give a shit. I will go. Um, yeah, I'd marry Peacemaker because I think that I could probably make him work in the long run. I'd have sex with Umbrella Academy. Now, nah, I might even marry Umbrella Academy because there's a lot of kind of, you know, androgynous, wonderful folks there that I feel like I identify with. And, uh, you know, that lady that plays a violin. What is that? What is she? What is they? I don't know. Love it. Um, and then I'd kill Doom Patrol because much like Judd said, I think they've died a lot. They can handle it. What about you, Roman's, Roman? Roman's going to marry fucking kill the Doom Patrol. All of them. Well, well, you know, since I'm an old cowhand from east of the Rio Grande, I don't quite understand this True. marry fuck kill thing. I, it has, it has to be those three shows. Yes, yeah, sir. I'm not throwing in my own shows. Okay. No, you only you have to marry one. You have to have humps with one, and you have to kill one. How do you marry a fictional show, Jan Roman? It's <laughs> oh a fucking God, question. Roman. All right. Okay. 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 I married Doom Patrol because I love that show. Pretend you're actually uh, 36. It's not, okay, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't understand. Oh, so I'll marry Doom Patrol because that's the best show on TV. I'll fuck Peacemaker because, you know, it's John Cena. So, of course. You like sweat. Um, yeah, yeah. I want I, I want to I want to show him mm -hmm, he can't that he can't mm -hmm, see me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. yeah, I know that joke was lost on audio on the radio, on the radio, um, and kill the other one because I've never seen it and I don't care about it. Mm. That's a good answer. Can <laughs> uh, we just give three different answers to that? That's pretty I think good. so. Judd, in response to your second question, the substack stuff, I was thinking about prescribing prescribing myself one dosage of the Morrison substack as well. I'll tell you what, I'm paying to be a part of the Hickman substack and I do not like it. I have not utilized it at all. Uh, I can't remember where it was. I think it was actually from someone... <clears throat> 
someone actually in the know oh it was on twitter the other day with a creator talking about it. it's essentially a glorified mailing list yeah. um it's an <laughs> email mailing list where you get a bunch of insight into creators doing things it can be pages of a comic a week it can be just interviews with them it can be insight into the creative process it's super super awesome i think in some regards if it's a creator you really like the hickman one is really really dry it's emails and conversations between creators and some other like cooler stuff like them talking about art that they really like but it was not a cool like now i'm getting you know a, a weekly comic or sorry a monthly comic from these creators and then above all of that it was coming through my email which stresses me out to use at all and i i don't know I, if i weren't working at a comic shop one day maybe i would do digital comics I, i'm not opposed to digital comics but um, at this point in my life, it, I just didn't ever engage with anything they were sending me through email. The Morrison one sounds like it is more of an analytical thing. Warren Ellis was doing an email for a while, like a weekly newsletter, and I would read through that. If a thing is structured as a weekly email, I would be interested, more interested in that, although I don't think it should cost money uh, to do that, unless it's really interesting. But again, when we're talking about trying to essentially combine very unusual release dates and release schedule for things that are being communicated to me through email. It doesn't work super well. I'm a Patreon subscriber to a lot of Patreons, even those like I, it's still, I miss a lot of stuff. Like I do it mostly to support people. So yep. I think it's a cool way to support people, but I think it's not a super, super cool way to be collecting a comic book. But if you're just into seeing the insight into a creative process, I think it could be really, really worth it. Although I think the Hickman one, not just Hickman, but it's Ewing and some other people, not worth the price of admission, but maybe the Morrison one would be, I've been contemplating buying that myself. I would marry and fuck Tom King and I would kill anybody who got in my way. Yeah. And I signed up for his Substack and haven't even opened a single one of the emails. Yeah. None of, I just, um, it's the, not. The, I think my favorite part about the Substack situation is that the creators retain all rights. And that's yep. like, every shred of rights stay with the creators and that means that it would be astounding if we didn't end up with printed copies of these things at some point they are and like i'm i'm gonna hold out for that i think um my hickman subscription meant that i will get physical copies of the thing that they release when they nice. release it and nice. that's that's fine but you know i'm gonna when be they release the, the first two-thirds of it um but yeah, the I, one I, Sorry, Roman. Yeah, please. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I feel the same way. I tried to do the um, the Tom King one, and then I realized it's just email so far. And apparently they have links or downloads or something of actual issues, which I haven't seen yet because I started to do it. And I was like, this is too much hassle. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait because, yeah, they're going to get they're going to get collected eventually. And I'll just wait for that. I don't need to be the first one to it. Yeah. Um, I haven't read many of the big two superhero runs over the past several years, big runs or trades that we would recommend. I think I speak for all of us when we say most of the Tom Keen stuff. So Mr. Miracle, uh, Strange Adventures, Rorschach, this Supergirl run when it comes out. I would even say Heroes in Crisis. Um, mm -hmm. Marvel wise, I would say if you're into really fun stuff, any Donnie Kate stuff in the <clears> last couple of years. So his Venom run was pretty fun, but particularly his Thor run and his uh thanos series i don't know how far back you want to go but uh the al ewing stuff from a couple of years ago got a lot of a lot of us excited 
the immortal Hulk by Al Ewing is something yep. huge from the last couple of years. Uh, Roman, uh, from the last couple of years, things have been collected that you would highly recommend somebody check out. Um, Doomsday Clock. Yep, that's a good um, one. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Last couple of years, was that... Uh, Nightwing? T- time is all blurred together. Yeah, Nightwing. I all think the current for, Nightwing, yeah. Yeah, there was only a couple of weak issues in that when they had a different artist. Um, ooh, um, I was going to say Guardians of the Galaxy, but I guess that's a few years old now. Yeah. Um, the dance slot, Silver Surfer run. Is a while ago, but yeah, high that up was there. a while ago. Good. Yeah. Um, oh, that series that maybe that was a while ago too. Uh, Marvel two and one with the yeah. thing in the Human Torch. That was good. Right before. Thinking the- about Judd Morse's taste, I would think the Tom King stuff would be pretty high up there. Morrison's Green Lantern run was pretty awesome, but it also kind of petered off for me. Zdarsky's Daredevil. Zdarsky's Daredevil. Like we we can't get the volume one right now, but I'm sure that'll come back in a print at some point. It's worth yeah. reading. Yep um thank you so much for your email talk to us about your free comic book next time you're in judd i saw you the day before the day after you sent this so it's probably before your birthday so sorry i missed it but uh, happy birthday to you and any listener whose birthday is happening you guys want to sing him happy birthday or you want to stop that tradition i really like the tradition but we're just kind of crunched for time today so let's talk about my bad number four Django. so this is uh by tom oh geez mark Mark russell Russell. mark (laughs) russell tom king uh, Peter Krauss is on art and it opens the first page says the power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, <laughs> make another man sing. And it's also the same Socrates and layout of the immortal Hulk issues because they start oh, with that God. big. Man. It's like a directly immortal Hulk reference. And it's credited to Socrates, which is just beautiful because that's a Huey Lewis in the news quote. Um, and the first scene has our kind of anti-hero just because he's the opposite of a hero although he thinks he's a hero he's the chandelier he's he's shitty batman he's got a chandelier for a helmet and he's knocking on a door and saying come on out lion l richie and then throughout their fight they're just shouting lionel richie quotes at each other (laughs) like i can do this all night long And then he jumps out from hiding. He's like, is it me you're looking for? Um, and it's just stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid jokes like that through the whole thing. Like he's he's banned from eating at Waspies, which has the world's largest bologna sandwiches in his street clothes. So he puts on his chandelier costume and they serve him a bologna sandwich that's like as big as a man's chest on a on like a pizza pizza oven retractor. We find out that his Alfred is sleeping with the maid. He, he busts him. He's like, oh, we were just dusting, sir. And as he leaves, he's like, sweet Yates. Reminds me of how he used to dust with mother. <laughs> <laughs> His spaceship is a big light bulb. And that's just the first of three and a half stories in here. Like, this is, I, I was really turned off by the first issue of this. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll give Mark Russell an extra issue here. And I sure am glad that I'm still reading it because this book is hands down one of the most absurd and insightful comics that that's on the stands right now that there's there's a one page thing where a bum on the street sees turtle pirate the reckoning coming to the movies and he's like i created that pirate and then he goes to the movie to see it and at the end credits it says special thanks to jack furby shiv smukto and the guy who created the pirate and he goes nice Nice. Like that's enough for creating this pirate that they're making billions of dollars. <laughs> this, yeah. Uh, sell chimp, big acid. It is okay. 
you should just read it. It's did, did you read it, Roman? No, I haven't read that one yet. All right. I, re well, I read the previous trust issues. Me. Yeah. Trust I'll, me. It's I'd good. Say, it sounds like I'll give it at least a nine just based on what you said. Yeah. I think what we need to do is make a curtailed uh comics place Mark Russell bundle. And Ooh. it will have Mr. Sorry, uh Flintstones. Yep. Uh Snagglepuss, My Bad, maybe Second Coming. Just like across several publishers. Here's a creator that we love. It's a hundred bucks, but it's all of mm -hmm. the best stuff from this person that we think that you need. Oh, but we could Christmas get him to sign them too. Tom King, we could do one like a Tom King one, but I think that if we, uh, I think that those are those are worth doing. And Mark Russell falls into that category super super well. Um, did you give it a score? Man, I didn't even think about it, but it's a ten. Mm. Like while while yeah, it's a ten. Mark Russell, a number I just four, spilled a beans 10. down my chin, baby. High praise, my bean high baby. High praise. I'm not even high, Django. Are you drunk? I'm not drunk. I don't even drink. My mouth can't Except taste whiskey. whiskey anymore, so I just poured inside my tighter hole and um hey roman there it's crazy that Django's not reading nightwing but i get it because i didn't read supergirl i think it's in that same tier of thing i I'm love nightwing it. 89 by tom taylor and uh is it marco redondo bruno redondo i gotta gotta look bruno. it up so, so. is it bruno yeah um bruno redondo uh this is the first part of a two-part crossover between nightwing and superman son of kal-el which totally makes sense because he's writing both uh i'm curious did you like this how did you feel about it and how did you feel about the fact that it's a crossover i'm loving it all so far and i just noticed that oh geez Django, i mean the cover it's got those little those little dots you like to talk about for the <laughs> <laughs> man we had that conversation at such a good time because they came so into vogue over the, like the six months yeah. after it like it became such a very popular thing for artists to be using I, I love this issue um, st from the start with that flashback where Superman and Batman had to go and Nightwing had to go find a little John Kent. Into that was such a good life. flashback and such it a was. great way of setting the table. Yeah. Yeah. And just showing how and this whole running gag about and I thought Nightwing had, had snuck it in there, a lollipop into Bruce's utility belt. But apparently, no, Bruce actually just carries lollipops in his utility belt <laughs> for when there's lost kids or something. Um <laughs> And then we get, it's just a great issue. There's a great sequence of Barbara and Dick and, and Keelix, Superman's robot. There's a call out to a, 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 a low level, obscure Titan from the old days. The one thing, you know, it's funny. The one thing I didn't care about was I wish, I wish I was more interested in, uh, in John's boyfriend. And he's he just, you... he's written. So he's supposed to be interesting, but I just don't find him interesting. I find him boring to the point where I feel like, we're leaving out interesting facts about him because I think that we're going to learn interesting things that will cause him to be a shady character. Like, oh. I, 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 I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I, because I like Tom Taylor a lot and I like Nightwing and the Superman book, but yeah. And, and I love, I love giving a mainstream character, you know, a non heteronormative relationship, but uh, either the character is underdeveloped or something, but you know, like, yeah, I agree. I almost, I don't, there's some part of me that doesn't trust him. And I think it's the byproduct yeah. of the fact that we haven't fully developed the character and it's either mm. not great character development or intentional obfuscation of things about the character that make me doubt them. And either way, it makes me feel like, I don't know, this isn't going over as well as I think it should for me. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Good points. I think you're right there. Um, yeah. But that was the only weak thing in the issue for me. I love that <clears throat> Nightwing is developing a friendship with, with, uh, John Kent, because you know he was had a mentor friendship with John's dad, and had promised 
you know, Kal-El when he left Earth that, yeah, I'll, you know, keep a lookout for your son. And there's a great panel in here where, where Dick Grayson's like, oh, crap, I should I haven't checked in with him. And he feels so guilty. I love just that. Just because he, he feels like he let down, you know, Superman Sr. I think that, um, you know, people talk about within comics that like to be able to be an avant-garde or really progressive comic book artist, you have to master the nine panel grid. And I think that that is something that people take for granted as like, oh, the nine panel grid, it's just a really economic way to tell stories. And it is maybe the most economic way. Um, but I think that this artist does it in a better way than I see anybody really do it outside of artists that work with Tom King, who I think writes it into the script, it seems like. But mm-hmm. uh, Django, I think that as someone who like loves Watchmen and loves the nine panel grid and loves like craft of comics, I think that outside of reading this thing, you could scan through it and be really impressed with some of the paneling things that this person does outside of like two issues ago, doing the thing where it was all one static image told Which over was time. Amazing. Yeah. And demonstrates a really evolved way of thinking about how time is told through comics. Like that issue does it as a showcase, but they clearly exhibit that level of awareness within paneling and what a panel means in these issues all the time. So every issue with this artist that comes out does something with paneling and visual storytelling that I think is generally innovative considering Mm -hmm. what is coming out around it. So I think that you know, the story is really good and the characters are really good within this Nightwing one, but I think the art really does set it apart. So I think that it is a really, really special book coming out in the same way that I think Supergirl is probably a special book coming out. And I just like, for whatever reason, we all it, fall behind mm-hmm. on a book now and again. Um, but this one's really, really good. And, you know, I, it dials in what I think Dick Grayson is in the DC universe better than I've seen it ever dialed in. And the art itself is really, really good. So um okay. i i gave it a nine i i think i was gonna be an 8.5 and then just hearing roman talk about it at the beginning i was like no this is a fucking niner <laughs> yeah i give it i give it a 9.5 there's and they do and they do that in a couple sequences i think uh, like with barbara and dick in in their bedroom they do that thing they did an issue whatever it was 87 where it's they're moving through the panels but there's one particular page and two pages in this um where uh John Canton and Superman and Nightwing are on top of a building talking and it's seven panels, but they're all different size panels. And it's just, it's just a really interesting way of doing it. Cause all the panels are different sizes. It's not like a standard way of doing panels, even though they're all rectangles and squares. It's just, it's just really interesting. So you guys are saying I should start. Well, you're muted now. So I, I don't know, but I, I think that, I think that it's pretty good. And I think, but I think it's really good in a context that like i don't blame you at all for not having it pique your interest like i i think that it it, i think that it is um i think it's kind of that teen titans adolescent relationship stuff where like i love seeing dick and barbara in a home for two pages like i not that it's bad but i just i don't think that that stuff speaks to you much and i i love it so brian garside is probably never gonna let go the idea that i don't give a shit about Nightwing. So like, I would love to talk to Brian Garside about Nightwing. Garside, get in here, bud. Thanks for showing up to our comics meeting thing. Come on our podcast. Oh, uh, we'll get him on here. Oh, Garside, you have my get invitation. Let's get here. this thing in here. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's like an intense ambivalence about Nightwing and just like only 98% trust in Tom Taylor. Yeah, is what's keeping me from reading it every week. Well, you're the guy that got everyone hooked on Tom Taylor, Django, just so you know. So um, 
you, oh, you man, are, I don't even have to do my own hipster virtue signaling. You, you are literally me. the guy that was the first, like Django, <laughs> or sorry, Roman was the first, the Al Ewing table, and you were the first, the Tom Taylor, and I was the first to nothing. But um, well, we got our scores in there, and I just have to take a second now to thank everyone who's about to listen to Django, only have 60 seconds to do his buckshot. Go. Oh, shit. Did you guys read my bad number four? You did it's, that already. Uh, Mar- oh, whoops. Um, Five I read- seconds. Ah! I thought this was my buckshot. Nine seconds. Oh, fuck. Uh, I read Quad, Terra, and Elvis, story and art by Eduardo Satchel. Uh, this is by Behemoth. It is apparently the first issue in a series of books that are set in the same world, but about different characters. And this one follows a woman and her cat. Uh, the cat runs into some peril. Uh, flipping through it made Roman not read it, but I'm just saying you should probably read it because things aren't as bad as you think when you look at it. The art is pretty good. I was super distracted by the Ron Jeremy caricatures that show up in there at some point. Um, oh God, because yeah. all I could think about was what a fucking weirdo creep Ron Jeremy is and how he's going to die in prison. And um, But it's got some good zombie stuff, some good apocalypse stuff, and the I don't really know what's going on at the very end, but I, I liked it. Oh, what? That was your minute. Oh, it was 60 seconds. All right. I said that, Django. We're running long and it was a small week of comics. I wasn't listening. Can I just say I also read Monsters? I finished Monsters. You can talk to William Elmer directly right now in this podcast. William Elmer. Okay, I'm going to give you 60 seconds now to talk about this thing. Go. Try paperback buckshot. Will Elmer, I read Monsters. By the time I finished it, I was kind of second guessing the fact that I had pushed it so hard to so many people without having read the whole thing because it gets so messed up by the end that I was weirded out and felt gross on vacation reading this book. And uh, I I hope that you liked it. I hope everybody who reads it likes it. At the very least, it is a very, very effective comic book. It pulls you in and runs you runs you right into the ground. Barry Windsor Smith uh, makes some really weird choices that end up working super well. And uh, I can, if if this was the pitch he gave to Marvel, I can see why they said, no, thank you. This is not a Hulk story. Get away from us, you fucking weirdo creep. Um, but I, I was affected by it. Sorry, I started as my timer and my stopwatch, not my timer. So I had to make my own sound. I hope that wasn't more aggressive than the normal one. <laughs> I what wish this it? was a video thing. I uh, Monsters? Yeah. I give it a 10 unless you're soft and then I'd give it a four. Okay. Like, yeah, the, the cannibalism, Nazi murder, rape, kill stuff is way over the top. And like, I don't even want to say it's deliciously awful because it's just awful. And I'm a big fan of things that make me think that is awful. Yeah. Roman, you've got 60 seconds. Go. Now I'm just thinking about Army Hammer. Um, X-Men, <laughs> X-Men number eight. I oh, This is such a great issue because it starts off with um, Modoc is in it. And he's turns out he's been like doing horrible experiments on cruise ships because it's a captive uh, uh, experimental animal environment and while he's on the ship he's recording a prospectus for i don't know buyers for his his weird science and it's just great because modok's great he's disgusting at the end of his little recording he said he he says all these horrible things at the very end he's he's his sign up is all the best (laughs) modok and and it's just fun the x-men show up on the ship to save people and interrupt him he's at the buffet loading up with his little tiny modok arms and he's pissed off because 
he thought he'd have time to eat the buffet. It's just a fun issue. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. What? <laughs> Roman, do you read Modoc's voice as Patton Oswalt? No, because I oh, tried that's that. That's funny. Because I tried that series and I didn't think it was very good. So I did I only watched like two episodes. All right. I thought it was kind of disappointing. Just like the, the Was there a Modoc series? An animated series? There was an animated series, and I think he was also involved on the last Modoc comic, wasn't he? I, yeah, I think oh, he wrote yeah. it. Writing it? Yeah. 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 Well, dang. Oh, what do you what do you give it, Roman? I wanted to do Crimson Cage too. Um, what did I give it? What did I give it? X-Men. I'm looking at my list. I gave it a nine. Jeff, you got 53 seconds. Go. I don't know how Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley are framing the Hulk in their minds as they're writing it, because on a physical level, it doesn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> but I really, really like reading it. And it also makes sense on the ethereal plane. Like, you know, they're saying like the Hulk is a spaceship, starship Hulk. And it's like, no, it's just like it's the everyone is in the Hulk and there's kind of like mental construct projections within the Hulk. And but the idea that their segment like partitioned off a portion of his consciousness to be buried within there to the is just experiencing the worst shit to be powering this engine to make it impenetrable is amazing so like there's a like a psychic realm where hulk is now fates challenging all of the marvel zombies to like make it so that his physical self can be battling off this crazy war like it's crazy fun dumb stuff it doesn't make sense in the way that it should but maybe that's what comics are you know <laughs> maybe so I gave it a score. I gave it an 8.5. Um, that was a weird one. The, the art is spectacular. It's spectacular. And the cliffhanger is really, really fun. Um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's Donnie Cates. I think at maybe a more loose Donnie Cates. So I gave it I give it a pretty high score. I'm really enjoying it. Um, give me Otley blood. Give me Otley guts. I give mean, me Otley like muscle bodies at the end. It's gross yeah. and real and good. But um, an awesome cover. It's got an awesome cover. Um, you know, Roman didn't get to talk about Crimson Cage. He's going to have to wait till I've read it and caught up and we can talk about Crimson Cage. Uh, yeah. Did you read it, Janko? Not yet. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. I'll, I'll talk to you about it over text. I'm going to read it. Roman's we'll part of all my Patreon, talk about it. so he gets texts from me. I'm a part what? of a lot of Patreons. Ashton has a Patreon. I've been a member for two years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can send us an email at jeff at the comicsplace.com. I wonder if the fact that that seems personal to me makes people not do it. Maybe it should be better if it was just a different like papcast at gmail.com. That, or... that is only people who wouldn't write an email no matter what yeah, the right. address was. It was really fun to do new directions this week. Um, this week we were signed up doing our kind of dusty we exposed wiener route up the old uh urethral trail, if you exactly, will. Exactly, exactly. Urinary trail. U T enforcers. And I. Um, it's fun to have you all aboard for it. I don't know what we're gonna see next week, and I certainly don't know what we're gonna see the week after that, but I want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and know that they can sit up next to this fire with me. My boys, Rowan, Jago, and open a can of Bush's baked beans over the fire and really get into some protein. And here's the thing. I haven't seen Blazing Saddles since that one time I was 17 and my parents took us down to the movie store with my first really significant girlfriend and she wanted to watch that movie. We awkwardly sat in my basement at my dad's house and watched that movie while I gingerly addressed the idea of possibly holding hands. But I bet that it was a great reference when they farted a bunch of times. And it makes me think that my first real home movie date was probably pretty good. And maybe I should me. chase that dragon for a long time. 
it took me less than three seconds to realize that I was watching Blazing Saddles when I flipped to it on a channel and the fart scene was on. <laughs> I don't know that movie very well. I was thinking about trying to hold her hand like a Beatles <laughs> joint. Hey, Roman, I want I you to know. Joint. That's one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies. I know it gets some flack now. I don't know things about it. I don't know. Controversial nowadays. Well, they but... say the N word like 5,000 times. I can see some racial prejudice that goes into that film, but, but I also think what they were about. doing it. But yeah, that's what it's were... about. Yep. Um, that's, that scene where uh doesn't matter how many times I've seen it. That scene where, <laughs> um, damn, I forgot the big, the big dumb one. The big I'd dumb Mongo. Watch. Mongo. I'd... Mongo. When Mongo gets, when he suddenly lifts his head and looks straight in the camera and, and, and says the line about, about the meaning of life or whatever he does, that always <laughs> cracks me up. Hmm. Candy Graham from Mongo. That's what Let's, I say to Jeff. Every uh, that's a Saturday Night Live <laughs> reference as well. I love it. Saturday Night no. Live is one of my favorite things. Candy Graham from Mongo? Uh, I don't know. I don't know it from Saturday. I know it from Saturday Night Live. Doesn't matter. I don't want to talk about it right now because we've gone really, really long. And uh, they like it long. Yeah, and they like it long. I never can never be long enough. Yeah, for Roman. <laughs> hey, I love all of you. Thank you for hanging out with us in this stupid podcast that we do. We don't know what next season is going to be, but we do know that the next week going to be New Directions number three, Naked Directions that we're going to chase with our full vulnerability. I am always M Jeff. You can get us through email at Jeff at the place.com. Roman Jango, send us. <laughs> I'm getting off this old Chisholm Trail. My name is Django. Uh, I'm going to go and search of some cold, clear water. This is Roman. Yeah. Love it. See you next week. Mm-hmm.